The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Brutal Nation, boys and girls. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only, the beast from the east. Tammy, the terror, Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. So have you murdered anybody here lately? Not recently. Why? Well, uh, the, <laughs> I, I, I saw a documentary about, oh about Bigfoot foot attacks. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if you attack somebody up on Mount Hood because, you know, I got to protect you. The Smithsonian could get to you. They're going to dart you. You'll be, you'll, See, you're, 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 you're a dangerous animal. And I, I just got to make sure. I into these questions because I always know there's a catch. I just can't figure it out in my head because I always, I try to be two steps ahead of you at <coughs> least. And lately I've just been like, I know this is going somewhere. I just can't figure it out. <laughs> and sometimes I know it's going somewhere and every thought I have in my head is not really that bad. And then you make it that bad. <laughs> You're welcome. Saying. You're welcome. You're welcome. Anything to help. Anything to help. Yeah. All right. So we got Keith Jesperson calling back into the show. We're going to continue to discuss his case. Right. <clears throat> and uh, for those of you that don't know, this is a Tammy solo tour right here. This is all you. I did it across the Atlantic. (laughs) (laughs) That's because I had to bail out. You did. You had. You got called into work today, so I. Yeah. um, Yeah, but it was a very interesting conversation. Which you know, after you guys listen to it, we'll talk about it. And it it opened my eyes and gave me a different perspective, even more so than what I was having. Okay, no, that makes sense. I can't wait to hear it myself. Yeah. Good times. Good times. All right, let's get into the calls. One, two, three. Let's go. You may begin speaking now. Hey, Keith. Hey, Keith. Sorry Hi. about that. <laughs> well, about we, we missed your call the first time. We were almost re- almost got it, and then it disconnected. Did you, did you put in for a visit up here, Tammy? I I don't know if you're being cleared yet oh, or not. Yeah, because they said that you would get. You better you better check on that. Well, um, hang on, on just that. a second. When I tried checking on it, they said that it's up to you to check on it because they cannot give me any information over the phone. Okay, all right. I'll go ahead and check with yeah. it later today. Um. And if they're not, if you're not cleared, uh, then I'll ask why. Yeah, I and guess. then let me know, and you know, I can do whatever needs to be done. I know that. Yeah, because I know that they all denied right. me to go see William, but that's because we're co-defendants. So, other than that, I've been oh, to see people okay. a couple of times in different facilities, not there, but other facilities. So, okay. All right. Um, so, anyways, you and I were alone today, Keith. <laughs> yeah, we Scott are. had to Scott had to go on a work run today, so he got called out. So it's just you and I. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, I asked him to. Uh, read guilty details on that beyond the crime yeah and he was going to do that and then i he never got back to me on whether he was able to or not this week has been really crazy busy um but i wanted to we talked about a little bit last week we kind of like touched on it a little bit but we were going to talk about the fires because i came across i don't know if you know about this but um the psychology department at Radford University in Virginia 
every time somebody's convicted of serial killing or whatever, they go through and do an information summary, like a psyche valve summary on them, based on information that they get yeah. on the crime. And according to them, um, I had it right here, that you began having a strange fascination with fires around the age of 14. But we had talked about that you didn't start any fires until later, until after you had started killing people. Is that correct? Well, you know, there's, there's, I can go all the way back to when I was like eight years old. Now, my, my, uh, I, I ran with about, uh, my brother and, and several others, and our neighbor had a, uh, had built a new house, and the old house he had filled up with kindling and newspaper and stuff like that, and one day there's like four or five of us kids climbed into the, into the window of the place, and we set a fire in the, in the fireplace, and we were just sitting there watching the fire, and, uh, this is cedar that's in there, and, and the cedar pops, and it, it gets hot, and right. pops sparks everywhere. Well, a, a, a spark jumped into the wood pile, and, and the newspaper started on fire, and we all stomped okay. it out. And then uh, we ran, we, we thought we had it out, and we climbed out, we, we separated by, we climbed out the window, and off we went. Well, uh, it wasn't long before the fire department got there and put out the whole fire, whole house was on fire. Right, right. And and of course, there's there were several of us kids involved in this, and the only one that was pointed out was myself. Okay. And I had to t- I had to I had to take out my life sa- savings and give it to Mr. Webster who owned the house, and he actually told the fire department he was going to set fire to that sucker the next year anyway. <laughs> But uh, I gave I gave my fifty dollars that I saved up for a new bicycle and everything like that on my paper route, and my father didn't spank me, and I always asked him why he didn't spank me, and he says I didn't tell on my brother Brad. Okay. <laughs> and because he was involved, and so was his friends, and and it wasn't uh, now as far as fascination for fire, um, we had a fireplace in, a, in, in our house. All of our houses, we've had right. fireplaces, and uh, we, we sit around the campfire, and we all, you know, we, it's just a normal okay. thing to sit around campfires and stuff. And that was it. Uh, I don't know where they say it was when I was fourteen. Yeah, that you had a strange fascination uh, with fires, and then between the oh age God, of they, fifteen so and sixteen, wrong. they, they said so that you wrong. started experimenting with pipe bombs and cannons, and I'm like, that is like a giant leap right there for mankind. <laughs> well, you know, I had a, I had a working lathe in the basement. My dad had a machine okay. shop in the basement and we made, uh, we made cannons, uh, you know, uh, black right. powder cannons and that. And, and we experienced, and you know, that's just something that, you know, all of us boys say, that sounds, did. I mean, we worked around. Yeah. That sounds shop. more like boyhood than it does, you know, Sadism. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I had one time there where I was, uh, uh, I was dealing with a teacher that failed me in, in okay. high school. My senior year, I was like 17, 18 years old, and I took a 30 odd six shell and put it on the end of an arrow with, uh, and it put a detonator on the end. I shot it at his door. I was going to uh, blow off his door. I was so pissed off at him, but 
the arrow didn't explode. Oh well. I just well, And that's weird because they say that that happened when you were 14. So. <laughs> well, no, I was in high school. I was a senior yeah. in high school. It was, uh, the, the teacher was Mr. Pearson. And uh, I was taking English classes, and he failed me. He said that uh, I wasn't living up to his expectations of the Jesperson family because all my brothers and sisters all had uh, excelled at his class. And I, I coasted through it. Now, the problem he had with me was that I was coasting, and I was making the same scores that oh. they were. He thought that because of my higher intellect that I should have... Uh, uh, push more on and handed in better material or oh, something. Oh, gotcha. I remember when my when my my girlfriend was going to high school and she was a senior and and she was in English and I was I was turning I, I gave her my old my old uh, 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 papers and I handed it to her and I said here try this just you know reword or something and she was getting straight A's and the teacher thought oh my god she's a she's a genius or some damn thing and I said. I was getting D's with those with Pearson. I was like, this is just, you know, this is how it is, you know, this is how right. they play it. And so I was just pissed off at him. I took a, you know, I took a 30 odd six shell, which was a, a loaded one, and put it on the end of an arrow, and I thought I'd make a statement, which I'm glad it didn't make right. a statement. Right. No, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. So, but as, as far as pipe bombs go, I remember we had a, a friend of mine, uh, we made a cannon. We got up on top of this Dobie Hill in Seal Washington. It's a little Dobie Hill. And we, we pointed our cannon out into the valley. And we didn't think. You know, we were looking with our binoculars to see where the round would hit. And we didn't think that that round would go very far, but we were wrong. <laughs> right? So we we had this thing set up there, and, it was, and we were using red dot smokeless powder instead right. of the black powder. And we were, we are in the inside bore was like uh, inch and an eighth coal rolls, what we made our, our projectiles out of. And we were setting them off, and we we're up there in, in my friend's Rambler, and we were hiding behind the Rambler when we set it off. And we set off about three rounds. We looked up, and here's this pickup coming right at us. And I said, What the hell is this guy coming? He just looks like he's hot and mad or something. Well, we were setting, all our rounds were going into the roof of his house oh, about no. a mile away. So, yeah. So we ended up finding, you know, I, I ended up paying out about $2,500 to have his roof fixed. Okay. Yeah, I was not, uh, it was kind of one of those things that, you know, it was just, it, and I wasn't by myself. My friend, um, you know, he was there with me, and, and we just kind of like, uh, <laughs> oops. It's one of those oops oh, yes. moments. We thought we were shooting out into nothing, and all of a sudden we're going all the way across the valley wow. and some guy's out. See, and that to me sounds like boyhood, too, because... Yeah. I mean, I mean, people have to, I think, need to it's realize that, I mean, you're older than I am, because I think you're like 20 years older than I am, because I was born in 75. Weren't you born in 55? Yeah. So it's like we yeah. come from different generations where we were expected to do stuff like that because we got out and did things. You know what I mean? Well, it wasn't. So, so when mm -hmm. I was growing up, uh, we didn't have the 4th of July in right. Canada. We didn't celebrate the 4th of July, and of course, the, the July 1st is now Independence Day for Canada, but back then, our fireworks and firecrackers that we were to get were on oh, Halloween. Okay. So when all of us kids are out there uh, 
trick-or-treating and stuff, you know, that's when we had our firecrackers and the fireworks, and that's when all the, because all the kids were out late at night, and that's when we had all of our, I remember having a Roman candle fight with my friend Joe, and uh, we're shooting at each other with these (laughs) Roman candles of all legs, and uh, one of the sparks got into his grandfather's old Buick that was sitting there, it was an old dilapidated old car, but it caught on fire. And uh, and we we ran we hightailed out of there we got uh, we didn't want to be caught there but that's all right it was just an old clunker right. car anyway but uh, that's that's kind of crazy I'm, and I remember I'm reminded by that by back in 1984 when my kids were around and I was in that mobile home park there off Weenass Road in Sela we had set off some of these. Um, Oh, I don't know what the hell is little bouncing Betty's or something like that. The little little firecrackers that bounce all over the place. Well, one went up in the side of the hill and it caught the the uh, the grass right. on fire. Fire department had to come out and put it out. But that was a con. That was a norm around right. July. Was you know a lot of the grass fires. Well, Yakima Valley is all grass anyway. And it's all you know it's all sagebrush and, and it's uh, a lot of a lot of fields caught fire because right. of that. She's, Scott and I because make fun of, of Yakima anyways because he said that there's a sign going out to Yakima saying the Palm Springs of Washington. He goes, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But, you know, if you've been to Palm Springs, it's, it's like Palm Springs down in California. It's oh, all okay. Dry. Maybe that's what they mean. Then. <laughs> yeah, it's all dry. I mean, this is, you know, Yakima Valley. It has seven inches of rainfall year-round. Yeah. So, that's what it is. It's, it's all it's all grass unless you you, you put irrigation yeah. to it. No, I always say that Everything. Yakima sounds like somebody's trying to yeah. hock up a loogie. <laughs> but, you oh know. yeah. Well, it's a nice area. I like the Sela area. When I you know I went to high school in Sela, Washington. That's where the home of uh, Treetop Apple Juice is and High Country right. Apple Products. And, and that's a little small and town as well too, as right? Other it's like 5,000 yeah. people back then. I mean, I don't know what it is now. It's prob- Now, we have the Acoma Firing Center across the river that has that, uh, the military comes in all the way from, well, we've had some from Canada and, and uh, it's Fort Lewis. They come over and they, they shoot off their big guns and, and you see them out there doing their maneuvers. And, and there's a lot of military okay. in the area. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So then, so then your fire thing didn't really like i mean except for like boyhood stuff i didn't didn't, i wasn't i wasn't a blossomy uh fire starter until my adulthood when i just you know i I experimented with a little bit and made no big no no qualms about it It was just uh something like i shut the scale down one time in cottonwood scale i shut that one down just because i was overweight i thought it'd be an interest and i didn't put a whole lot in danger i just uh you know, they'll probably think about it now and go like, oh, yeah, right, that was him. Right, no. <laughs> So, now, yeah. did you also try yeah. to start fires because you thought maybe it would help, like, diminish your, like, your desire to kill people, or? I I thought, you know, when I when I read, uh, I had read along in, in a True Detective magazine that they had to try right. it, you know, bedwetting, and I thought, well, maybe if I curved my... You know, this I, I I can't stop killing kind of a thing, and I decided I was going to 
set a few fires and see if that did anything for me. But it just scared okay. me because it wasn't it wasn't in my norm. You know, you're going to get caught doing something. But that, I think that's like putting a putting a, a flashlight on it. You know, like pointing a finger at right. yourself with uh, with a fire. Now, now, a friend of mine in the on Highway 97 south of Toppenish, she had this field about 300 acres or 350 acres of 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 uh, mm-hmm. pasture that she couldn't use because the tumbleweeds had rolled in there and it just covered there was, there was probably 10 feet high of tumbleweeds all through the field. And I told her one day, I said, why don't you just burn the damn thing? I said, well, the, the damn, um, the reservation wouldn't give her a permit oh. to do it. I said, well, we'll just set fire the damn thing. And, and by the time they get there to put it out, right. it'll be done, right? And she says, I, I can't do that. That'd be, you know, against the law and all this other crap. I so I pulled over one day, and it was a really hot day, and I, I started at one end when the wind was blowing all the way across the field. I said, I just went in and put a, used a book of matches with a cigarette. And so I had a timer, and I stuck it in there, and I drove off, and, and I was about six miles away when I heard reports on the radio that there was a fire up in this field. And, and I made it all the way to Goldendale, and I was parked there, a little truck stop there, and a state patrol drove by my truck kind of looking at it, looking at me and didn't see me smoking, so I guess he figured everything's okay and kept on going. But uh, later I come back and all of her, you know, her friends' posts were all steel anyway. And the, the, the field was empty of, of uh, tumbleweeds and the grass was starting to grow <laughs> back. So everything right. was fine. Okay. Right? So, yes. Yeah. yeah so I mean, that, I mean, that kind of, to me, that makes sense. It, I mean, because I... People think I'm weird anyways because I think logically it's like, okay, what what makes sense? Does this make sense? And that, that makes sense to me that, you know, there's something that you're going through in life and you read something. You're like, well, maybe I won't have this if I do this. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it, was, it, it didn't work for me because, you know, it's, uh, even though I had started that one with uh, her field there, I was... I was still high-tailing to get the hell out of there because I didn't want to get caught doing right, it. Right, so course. you weren't but, like Otis Tool. Uh, I still, I still wondered. You still wonder how many people saw right. you do so it. So you weren't like you, Otis Tool and hanging around to see the roadway, flames right? or anything. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to sit around wait. You know, it's like, yeah, we're, you know, this is the problem with crime is that uh, the, anyone that's re- related to the to the individual is always oh, the first that- suspect. Through that, yo. <laughs> yeah, so if you're going to stick around and you would be in the crowd, they're going to take pictures of the crowd and they'll they'll get to you eventually. Right, right. Because I think. Yeah, so why why stick around and watch a fire happen when all of a sudden they, they're all turning? Why are you exactly, standing Exactly, like exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, I hear you. I hear you chirping, Big Bird. But um, yeah. so therefore, so that, I mean, like I said, that totally makes sense to me. And then it's like, um, then there, there was something that caught my attention too because i only read these through just to kind of get a general idea you know most of them i don't pay much attention to anyways because i i know that they don't speak directly to the person so but they also yeah. brought up a great uncle charlie oh my great uncle charlie you know the the, the nut okay crazy charlie okay crazy charlie this is a this is a story is probably you know when I was arrested and brought to prison, my father said you're just you know you're just another crazy Charlie is what you know re- referring to 
my grandfather's okay. brother back in 1927. 1927. This is a long ways, long time ago. So, in the 1880s, the Jesperson family came over from Denmark, and they 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 got came mm -hmm. into New York, like a whole lot of other people, and they got into a covered wagon, and they they came across the Oregon Trail, and if you've seen the family, you know why the why the wagon was covered, <laughs> right? No, I, no, I get it because I get on. it because we make that joke about my family too. <laughs> my family wasn't yeah, here so, in the in so that we, early, but yeah. So the family family went over to San Francisco. They got to San Francisco, and they decided to go north into Canada and settle in the, into the Fraser Valley up there by Chilliwack, which is. We ended up settling on Fairfield Island, which is like a a delta out there in the Fraser River. Okay. It's an island. It's an island out there, but it's not, you know, it's 20 feet across to where on the bridge to get to the island. It's not a very big, but it's a, it's a, it's a fairly good sized parcel okay. of land. And we have a just, we have a Jesperson Road out there. Now, Charlie, one of the brothers, had decided he wasn't going to be a dairy farmer. He was going to run cattle. He was going to run, uh, you know, uh, beef cows, and he wasn't going to run the okay. dairy cattle. You know, like, like, what the rest of the family was doing. The rest of the family had a big barn, and they were milking cows and that. But Charlie wanted, he had a, he had a section of land, which is 640 acres, and he had cleared it, and he had all this, and he wanted to be separate from the rest of the Jesperson family. They didn't want to be, he didn't want to tie his land up with them. So, because he was separating himself from the family unit, the rest of the family started calling him crazy. Okay. Because he, and, and this is the problem when you get, if you get called something wrong enough, pretty soon everybody around you starts calling you the same thing. So the town people of Chilliwack started calling him Crazy Charlie too, because of the, the Jespersons were calling Charlie crazy all okay. the time. Now, they started to think about this. They started thinking, you know, maybe he is crazy, because everybody else is calling him crazy. So they... They went and got a doctor to go out there and diagnose him to see if he really was crazy. And of course, when he ended, when they when the doctor showed up on the, on the uh, uh, property, Charlie met him with a gun and said, "Get the hell off my property!" And of course, the doctor had to go away. And then they brought in a constable that would keep him from shooting the doctor. Okay. And then they, they they pulled him out of the out of the house. They took him to the uh, hospital, which is a, a mental institution in the Fraser Valley. And they diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. And the reason why they diagnosed him was that because he claimed he said, "Well, the family's just out to get my land." Okay. Right. And that's what they were doing. They wanted to get his land, so they were they were they were actually trying to get his land from him and take it away from him because they wanted to incorporate it into the dairy farm. Okay. And Charlie wouldn't let them do it. And so they went over, so they, they, they diagnosed him as paranoid schizophrenia. Dementia precox is pretty much what it says right on his, on his report. Dementia okay. precox. And they, they institutionalized him. And every six months he'd come up for a review and and then they'd always, you know, he said, well, the family's still trying to get my land, you know. And, and of course, they'd already absorbed his 640 acres into the dairy okay. farm. 
they already they already had him institutionalized. So every six months he came up for review, and they always said he was he still had learned his lessons, so he's still in, in, with dementia. Okay. Seven years later, seven years later, he realized he was never going to get out of there, and so he found a hammer and a mm. spike, a spike, a long spike, probably eight inch long spike, something like that. And he stuck it up to his forehead and he hammered it in with a hammer into his forehead, all the way into his brain. And he was walking around the, uh, in- the institution with this nail sticking out of his head. And an orderly saw the nail there and he reached over and he pulled it out. So, well, the moment he pulled it out, it, an infection set in. And 24 hours later, Charlie was dead. And of course, the rest of Justin's family didn't give a shit. Wow. And they they called, oh, well, big deal, you know, and Charlie was dead. And that's been my, uh, that's why everyone says that uh, anything that happens that doesn't seem like it's, like it's good or bad or whatever like that is, you're crazy or you're a you're, you're, you're right. nut job, everything was referred back to great okay, uncle Charlie. Now, what's this part about him being a sexual sadist? Yeah, they said that he had sexual... It says sexual sadism in Keith traced back to Great Uncle Charlie. No. No, Great Uncle Charlie was, was institutionalized for dementia precog. Okay. No. Which is schizophrenia, See, and that's, period. And it's only because they wanted to take okay. his land. That, that makes sense because it's like you're telling period. the story and I'm like, that's, that's I'm not it. seeing this in there. <laughs> No, you're not. You're never going to see that because this is a doctor. This is a clinical psychologist from nowadays trying to justify right. his his education. Well, yeah, and That's I think what it is is they're trying to sexual sadism. Yeah, it's where that? you know basically that he and uh, sexual sadism is where they have a deviancy when it comes to sex. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like a deviancy, deviancy like. Uh, you like yeah, to take yeah, it up no, the back? Yeah, no, not quite that deviant. <laughs> but um, no, um, what I was, I, I guess the best way to put it is, you know, the toy box killer, uh, uh, Ray Parker, what's his name? David Parker Ray? Ha- okay, Who never mind. He? I was trying to think, I'm trying to think of somebody you would know. Do you know Norris and Bittaker? Oh, okay. No. Um, but they have like this. I don't get, I don't, I don't dig up no. the. The, um, the details on other killers in the country. No, it, it, these are just no. These are just more like the extreme sexual sadism. It's like torturing, and you know what I mean. Torture and like mutilation and that kind of thing is more sexual sadism. Oh, so. Well, anyway, it's well, not. No, me. no, and that's why not I was Charlie. like, I'm not seeing that in anything with Great Uncle Charlie either. Is what I was trying to say. Um, now. They wanted to steal his land. That's all they wanted to do, and they 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 institutionalized him so they could take right, his land that, from him. That's that's the that's the that's the right, and that the was actually thing. common back then too. You know, unfortunately, it was. If you didn't, if they didn't like what was going on in your life, they they changed it. Right. They'd, um, they'd put okay. you away. And because he was not following along with the the, the common Denmark society, which is everybody works within the right. family unit. He wanted to deviate and get away. Now, my now this is another side to this. 
my my his brother, my grandfather, was the only one that married and had children. Oh. The rest of the family didn't have children. They were I had I had great aunts that were six foot tall and stuff like that. My great uncle Fred uh, was the last uh, was the last of them that, that lived. And when when great uncle Fred passed away, now before he passed away, I had talked to him. In 1975, I'd actually gone up there and I talked to him, and this is after my grandfather had passed away, and everyone bickered over the little estate that he had, over just what little money that that my my grandfather had accumulated over his life, what we had left is just a house. Anyway, uh, there was a big issue about that, and Fred asked that question and said, "What do you think I should do with the uh, the dairy farm?" And I said, "Well." You know what's going to happen if you if if when you die and you give if you give it to the Jesperson family, what will end up happening is it will subdivide it all down. This this property will no longer be a dairy mm-hmm. farm, and all the money will be divided up amongst ourselves. We'll all be millionaires until we spend it all, and then you will have nothing to show for the Jesperson family at all in the Chilliwack area. And, I, and he says, "What do you think I should do?" And I said, "Well, I think you should." You have a hired hand that 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 has helped you. Look after the people that's been mm-hmm. around you, and make a statement to the Chilliwack community, and do something good for the community, and so that the Jesperson name is well remembered. And so what he did when he passed away was, he set up his hired hand with um, the house he was living in, a new pickup truck, and and maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars, and then the land was um, uh, broken up. And the dairy farm with 500 acres or so was was a dairy farm sold to a Denmark family. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the property was subdivided into housing units and sold off. Now, 50% of the proceeds went to the Salvation Army in Chilliwack. And the other 50% went to build a new children's wing on the hospital in Chilliwack. And there's a plaque, there's a plaque, I guess, on the building where the money was donated from the Jesperson wow. estate. And that's what they, that's what's left of the of the dairy farm on Jesperson Road from Fairfield Island, Chilliwack. Wow. And of course, when the, when the when the will was read, this is the funny part, when the will was read and, and no money went to any of the Jespersons, in there's a little quote that if you have any problems, ask Keith. <laughs> yeah. See Keith. No. <laughs> so I've been blamed for that. Well, you too. know. No, I mean it. It sounds. I mean, yeah. honestly, it sounds like your family has a re- deeply rooted history in that area. It is. We've had the Queen actually uh, back in. You know, I don't know what when it was, but we had heard that the Queen had actually visited the estate because it's one of these big masonry uh, okay. rock yeah. homes. And uh, back in 1909, it cost like eleven thousand dollars, and so it it it'd be worth millions now, I guess. But anyway, I'll call you back right away because okay. there's a minute let's, left. Okay, let's let's do that then. All right, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. He's calling right back. Okay, okay we're back. You're there. Now, um, so yeah, so it's like you have like deeply rooted history. Um, up, especially up in Canada. So, I mean, I don't know. It just it just bothers me. <laughs> this is this is why I'm glad we're doing well, this like, because you know. So so the Jesperson name, okay, in Chilliwack area was well mm-hmm. respected. 
my my father was a member of city council. Oh, okay. Uh, Les Jesperson, member of city, he was one of the youngest. He was master of dikes. He was master of a lot of things up there. He had a, he had a, a city welding machine shop. That's what his operation was. So he was involved in a lot of the buildings that were built okay. in the area, uh, as well as you know everything that goes on in there. Now, I remember back in 1971, uh, we were visiting up there, and I was going to go on a date with this gal. She was driving theater. And uh, I, I was going to stop by and, and pick her up at her grandmother's house, and she was actually from Walla Walla, Washington. She was up there visiting her grandma, and her grandma said, "You're you're a Jesperson," and 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 she was telling me. She said that uh, her grandmother was was telling us, "Man, you got to hook onto that Jesperson. He's he's like royalty." Wow. <laughs> I was like, you know, this this is just how the hell it was up there. I mean. The, we were just, we'd walk in, it was just like, you know, it, it wasn't like they curtsied right. us or anything like that, but it just, it just, the Jesperson uh, family who homesteaded the area was, was a big, wow. was a big thing. Now, uh, getting back to my grandfather, my grandfather never married. Now, because of what happened mm -hmm. to Charlie, he was so upset that that happened. He was afraid it was going to happen to him because he didn't want to conform with the family unit either. Mm -hmm. Even though he had land, he gave the land to him. But my grandfather was a blacksmith. Okay. And he he decided what he would do is he would leave the British Columbia and he went to Saskatchewan, the little town called Piapot, Saskatchewan, which is down over by Maple Creek. And he started a, a blacksmith shop there. And that's where my father okay. was born was in Piapot, Saskatchewan. Now, in the dirty 30s, when the uh, when they had the, the, the Dust Bowl and everything like that, all the farms were drying up and nobody had right. any money, well, they ended up having uh, to move back. Uh, the, in, in the history there, they weren't allowing people to move from other provinces back to British Columbia unless you owned land oh, in British okay. Columbia. So... With my, our family, the Jesperson family from Piapot, on the way back to British Columbia, was stopped at the border, and then they were able to prove that they still, he still owned part of the land in the homestead up there on Fairfield Island. And that's the only reason my grandfather and my father and his brothers and sisters were allowed back into British Columbia in the dirty 30s with the, when the Dust Bowl wow. was happening. And... So that brought us back into the Chilliwack area, and of course, my father, my my father, was in business with my grandfather, and they had they started City Welding Machine Shop, and eventually moved that out um, out there towards the Lickman Road area. And I think I think the building now is run by uh, it is the uh, Finning Cat Company up there in Chilliwack. I think that's what that's who has it. That's who had it when we left. In 1967, okay. I think he sold it to uh, he sold it out, and Finney Cat Company came in and took over the building. But it's a butler type building. It was a really nice. So you moved anyway. to Washington so, in '67, then? Yes, okay. we came down in April of '67, okay. and we moved into Seal, Washington. And the reason we came down was my dad was is uh, a design engineer, and he invented a lot of different things. 
And, and one of the inventions was those little spread lock clip that holds the string in the ground for the hop plant. And this, this punch press would punch out these W-shaped clips 10 at a time, and about every second was a punch. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk all day long. And we produced 22 million of these clips every year for the hop farmers. Now, in, in, in British Columbia, right in the Fraser Valley, there was like 1,200 acres mm-hmm. of hops. Uh, in, in the Yakima Valley, there's like 25,000 mm-hmm. acres of hops. So we moved, the, we moved down to where the major business was for the hop industry. And he made top and bottom cutters and uh, a kiln, hop kiln and stuff like that. And the biggest thing was, uh, was the spread lock clip. We got down there and, we, and us kids, when I turned like 13 and in 14, we were working in a, a shop next to our house punching those clips after school okay. and on weekends that was our job we were making i was making a buck and a half an hour back in in 68 69 wow. that, that that was that was like what people were raising right. families on. exactly i was gonna say yeah. that that that's way so, before minimum and, wage was 15 dollars <laughs> yeah yeah I, people way, laugh at know. me but I was going to say, people laugh at me, but when I started working at McDonald's back when I was 14, minimum wage was like $3 and some odd cents, and they're like, really? I go, yeah, really. Well, the very first job I had outside of working for my father was in 1973, in the summer of 73, I went to work for Larson Fruit Company, and we're making 1,000 apple bins, and I was getting $2.34 an hour. Wow. You know, I was making, I was raking it in, man, two thirty-four an hour. And at the same time, on uh, when that wasn't running, I was running the punch press. And by that time, my father had moved, had sold the punch press to top to Hop Grower Supply in Toppenish. And I had a key to go in there, and I would, I'd run that on piecework, and I was making basically five dollars an hour wow. doing that. Yeah, working with my brother, and he was making right. five. So if I if I ran the whole thing by myself, I was getting ten dollars an hour, and I'd be back Ooh. in you know the mid seventies, which Holy is a lot of money. Connection fits back, man. That is a lot of money back then. <laughs> yeah, you know, back then, yeah. You know, if I ran the the whole operation by myself, piecework, I was making ten dollars okay. an hour. Now, uh, another thing that yeah. I know you and Scott talked about this last week um, during your private phone calls. But it's something that him and I also talked about after our call with you is there's the incident with your father where he shocked you in the greenhouse. Oh, How yeah. old were well, you, first of all? That's been written. Oh, okay, because according to some reports, I read it happened between the age of five and six. So. No, I was 20 okay. years old. Uh now, they, my dad was, you know, we had, we moved to Cedar Washington, and it's about a mile and a half out of, out of Cedar North on the Cedar Loop Road. It's a big house. It's got a pond okay. up front. Little, you know, it's, uh, he built, he wanted to build a rock solarium on the end of the house. It's like 16 by 32 feet, and it's an extension, and he wanted palm trees and stuff like that in it. So we had, we had wired, uh, they had big, three big exhaust fans on the end of the, of the solarium, the greenhouse. And uh, we wired that with 220. Now, we put a conduit underground, about a foot underground. And there was a junction box about halfway down. And 
and wear everything in, but it has some sharp edges in it. Now, when we ran the lines from the breaker box to the to the exhaust fans, which is a 220 service, it was like a, a an 80 amp two you know 80 amps of, of of power to run the fans, and one of the leads of the 220, which would be 110, mm-hmm. had shorted out against one of the conduits, the sharp edge of the conduit. Now, I showed up about 6 o'clock in the morning. I went in and I grabbed a cup of coffee, and I was walking out, and my dad was already sitting there in the in the rock cellar in the greenhouse and having his morning coffee, and the dog was sitting there. And uh, he said, hey, Keith, can you stand right there? And he had X marked the spot. He had already used his continuity testers to find out where the short was, but I didn't know he had already done this. And so I go and I stand, X marks the spot. And so he walks over to the breaker and he turns the breaker on and I feel this tingling sensation going up my leg. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was being zapped right. and killed, right? It was, it, it, it's like one of those worm getters, you know, uh, when you stick a, a, a probe and a 110 worm probe into the ground and all the worms right. come up to the surface because they're trying to escape the 110, that's what it felt like. You get the buzz, okay. right? And I said, don't, and I said to him, I said, gee, Dad, you've already, it's only 6 o'clock, you're already trying to kill me, right? So <laughs> he goes over, he turns the breaker off. I said, why do you have me stand there? And he said, oh, I couldn't get the dog to sit there. <laughs> right? That was his right. joke, right? And I said, oh, great. I said, oh, great, Dad. I said, I'm dumber than the dog. And he says, no, Keith, you're not dumber than the dog. You're just more <laughs> obedient. Right? <laughs> so, so basically... So basically, it was just a harmless prank. It wasn't like it was a tort. It was a prank. You know, it wasn't going to. He wasn't trying to kill me. He was just trying to show me that there's a short in this conduit that was a foot underground. Now, my what his problem was is that he feared that Jack Olson, when he wrote it in Jack Olson's book, Eyes Creature and Circular, when he wrote it, when when he when I brought that up, Dad was so afraid that people would look at him weird about electrocuting his kid that uh, he said well no Keith was wrong it wasn't 220 it was 12 volt yeah but the 12 volt system we had 12 volt system in the greenhouse because we didn't want to shock anybody right right? 12 volt lighting we had like maybe a 12 amp 12 12 amps of of power going into these little you know uh, car uh, lights around the place we had like 12 volt lighting in the in there so that we didn't which was above ground we didn't want that to shock people no you, you can't have uh 110 or 220 above ground in a greenhouse where people can grab onto it and, and get and there's so much water around the place you, you can electrocute people and that's what we didn't want to do so we had 12 volt lighting and that's when my father said well no keith was wrong it wasn't 220 it was it was it was the twelve volt system. He didn't want he wanted to downplay right. it. And what Jack Olson didn't realize was the fact that well twelve volt wouldn't have shocked me at all. Right. No doubt, yo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't have shocked me at all. So he knew my dad he could have known my dad was lying, but he didn't understand he didn't understand electricity. Right. So basically what it See uh, alternating current right. will kill you. Direct current you know, is like a welder and stuff like that. It'll just heat right. up a bit. It's like, you know, like grounding your elbow off on a on a coil in right. a car. 
you'll shock the hell out of you, but it's not going to, you know, it might, it might stop your heart. I'm not sure, but. So basically it was you recalling yeah. just like kind of a fun memory and they blew it out of proportion. It was a fun memory. This is all, you know, when Jack Olson or any of these people, and this is the problem we, I run into is that once I've been arrested for murder, I'll be saying everything is taken exactly. out of context. Everything is, you got to tell me the story and I, I tell them the story and the next thing you know, they're trying to make it sound right. evil. So if, if, if I had just said mum's a word, you know, I have the right to remain silent. If I just kept that and said nothing, we wouldn't be right. talking today. No, yeah. And if nothing was said, then the, then the, all these little stories would not have come out. And But you can't keep your relatives from telling well, that's stories true, either. True. But see, I, I think this is what bothers me about this whole thing, and I'm glad we're doing this with you, is that people will take one little thing, like a happy memory or something that's an innocent prank, and blow it out of proportion and make it seem like it was, I mean, because they made it sound like it was, he was trying to torture you and you were, you were still a child when this happened. I was yeah. still a child. You know, five years old, ten years old. No, man. Uh, as a kid, my father kind of like, uh, you know, we didn't work around his big shop there. Now, once in a while, he'd get, he'd get us down there on a weekend and we'd have to take wire brushes to right. old boats. And nuts that he took off an old bridge or something. And he paid us for it. He was one of those things right. we did. We had to weed the garden, you know, stuff like that. We had to get out there and do the gardening and so help my mom and everything like that. It was just what we normally did. Yeah. But no, See, and this, this no, was what it reminds me of, though. Is like, you know, because I grew up on a dairy farm. You know, I know we talked about that before and everything. I grew up on an active dairy farm. That would be the same thing as if. I got into even more trouble, and my brother told the story of how we made him pee on the electric fence. You know, that's just childhood stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I've worked on, I've, I've helped on dairy farms. Yeah. I've told you that. I remember, I remember where I actually helped cesarean a calf out of the side of oh, the wow. cow that had died inside the cow. And if you've been on a farm, you know that that's a nasty nasty job is pulling a, a calf that's falling apart because it's yes. been dead too long yes. inside inside the cow you pull it right out of the side you open it up and you just pull it right on out and it's just yeah. you know, it makes me sick thinking no, about it anyway yeah, yeah no moving on. i mean because like i said it's like <laughs> they take one little thing and they blow it out of proportion to make it 20 i mean even worse than what it was meant to be well, like you said, yeah. you know, they're just, and then of course, now I have a daughter named Melissa that decides she wants to take that and run it even yeah. further. Now, now here's something yeah. I came across, and I'll be honest, when Scott and I heard it, and we don't know if it's true, we kind of laughed about it, but according to something I found that um, at some point between the age of 11 and 13, your dad gave you a BB gun. And you got in trouble because you shot a neighbor in the genitals and you shot an overweight neighbor bending over to pick raspberries. No. Two different stories, two different oh, weapons. Okay. Okay. Now this is okay, I'll tell you the story about the the picking up okay. raspberries. Okay. Right next to us on Lickman Road was was Rempel's berry okay. farm. And they had raspberry patch there. Now, a lot of the locals came over and they would pick the raspberries and they're getting so much okay. of flack. Now, my father decided that he was going to make us, my, myself and my brother Brad, a slingshot. 
And this is the precursor to the wrist rocket. It had uh, the the tubing, you know, and, and the patch, and he, he made it out of metal, and everything was good. Now, he, he told us, to don't be shooting your eyes out and all this other stuff with this right. slingshots. So Brad and I were, we, we found out that marbles, when we shoot marbles, they they go further and faster and straighter than right. rocks do. All right? So we were out there shooting at anything and everything, and we were in the backfield of our property, and we decided, we saw, uh, oh, her name was Chatsy, uh, the old the old older gal named Chatsy. She had this big bumblebee mm-hmm. butt, and she was leaning over and, and, and picking raspberries, and we climbed up in this tree. Now, I was up above Brad in this tree, and Brad was down below me here. And so we, we shot at her butt from the tree, which is about 50 feet away from where she was bending over, picking up raspberries, you know, off the vines there. And the first, our first shot hit the ground and just made dust. And she got up and looked around, and we couldn't understand what the hell was going on. So she went back to digging, to uh, doing the raspberries there, bending over. And, and the next marble we shot hit both cheeks of her butt, and she yelled out a big old scream. And then Brad started laughing, you know. Yeah. And he was just carrying on. He just couldn't help himself. He was laughing so hard. And I hid behind the tree, and so she looked up and saw Brad and said, Brad, tell you get down here right now, right. you know. So Brad gets down there, and because Brad got caught, I started laughing. I had to laugh, too. And so I got yelled, and I had to come down the tree. And she dragged us both over to my dad. And, of course, we were in the front yard, and, and she was explaining while she, her butt was sore. With this, and she <laughs> told dad about the, getting hit with these, you know, with the slingshots. My dad could already keep the straight I mean, face. Yeah, that again sounds and like a childhood He had to punish us, again, right? Yeah. And so he actually, he actually said, he actually said, can I see the evidence, right? Which <laughs> made everyone else laugh. You know, and and so yeah, so Chatsy was all upset and wanted wanted us kids punished. Well, he took his belt out and he swatted us, but he hit us very hard. Right. <laughs> he had a hard time containing himself. It was it was just a comical thing. I was I was laughing because Brad got caught. And I was just so funny. I was just, <laughs> but the BB gun thing, we didn't own any BB guns. Okay. Uh, there were a lot of the kids in the neighborhood all had BB guns, and they had these BB gun fights. Okay. Now, they had rules. When we, when we used the BB gun, we had rules, what we could and could not do. We couldn't shoot in the right. face, and uh, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't shoot at their head or anything like that. So the rest of it was open open territory. Okay. And yes, and yes, well, like, well, was, well, someone had to stop to use the restroom, got shot in the um, genitals. Okay. And I wasn't sure who did it. I'm not really sure because I didn't have right. a BB gun. But they, uh, it was, it was done, and we heard a big yell, and and, and that was another thing. It was off limits from oh, then on. Yeah. <laughs> so again. But that was that was the common thing. You know, just kids were out there. Now we didn't have any BB guns until I think my dad bought a BB gun for the mobile home park back in 70, 76 or seventy seven. He decided for for animal control. He buy a couple of BB guns and that turned out to be a bad idea right. because you're shooting you're shooting at, at other people's animals and stuff like that they could be the people that own that own homes oh, in the park okay. 
they weren't just straight cat you know so that became a bad idea i told dad it would be not a good idea to you you wanted to teach some of the local kids how to shoot bb guns i said well don't be that'd be that's a, that's a you're, you're dealing with other people's kids and you don't want right. to get involved in them right so basically that's like that's like a kid coming over and asking hey mr jesperson how do you know if electric fence is on Right, and my dad would say, "Well, go pee on it. You'll find out." And my, yeah, I looked right at my dad. And I said, "You can't tell a right. kid that. He'll do it. He will go pee on that damn fence." And right about that time, you hear the kid. Yeah. No! You can't no. tell him that because he will do it, and then he will say, "Well, Mr. Jesperson told me to." Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. You know, and then we go down the go down yeah. that road. Again. No, I hear yeah. you. I hear you. So again, I mean, these two. So yeah, that was a story. That was a story about. I mean, I know that there was a BB gun fight that happened, and that was just stories that were told. And and the the slingshot one with the with the lady picking raspberries. That was just too, too funny. It yeah. So they funny. were getting blown out of proportion. That's just what kids do, man. Kid stuff blown yeah. out of proportion. Yeah. Yeah. Miss, Mrs. Chassie probably didn't think it was too funny, but we sure the <laughs> hell did. <laughs> well. I guess you can look at it like this. I mean, Dennis the Menace style, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, you know, because, I mean, he was popular yeah. back when I was growing up. But, um... Well... No, I just... It just bothers me that, you know, when people do stuff like that, is take one thing and blow it way out of proportion. So, um... I lost my place now. <laughs> no, it's fine. Okay. Um, but anyways, so... So it's like, so all of these like stories that people are telling now that happened later instead of, I mean, because like I said, the electricity story I read somewhere it happened when you were between five and six, didn't happen until you were 20. So it's like. Yeah, it was 20 years. The greenhouse, we weren't, we weren't living in that house when I was five right. or six. I was, I was 12 years old when we moved down from right. Canada. And okay. Yeah. Because I yeah, read so that, that you moved that, down. That, that, he bunks that whole story I, I right there. I read that you moved down in 1961 as well. Yeah. 61? No. No, in 67. Okay. That was on my 12th birthday, actually. In April, of, uh, we all came down in 67. Okay. Now, yeah. another question I had for you, and I don't know um, if this is true or not, is that... Um, one of the earliest memories they said you had was of you rolling a rock down the slide at a park and it hitting your brother Brad in the face. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what thing with memories. I, I remembered that uh, our first house was on Henley Avenue in uh -huh. Chilliwack. Uh, Henley Avenue is just is, it was a new area. We had a park across the street. Most of these. Most of the rides and everything on there were built by my father at his okay. shop. You know, the merry-go-round, the teeter-totter, the slide, and everything, you know, fireman's pole was all built by my father and put in this park across from our house. Now, our house was the, was the only one in Chilliwack that had a swimming pool at the time. My dad had dug wow. that by hand and put a swimming pool in, which he found out later was a bad idea because people were leaving their kids off in front of the house to go back and swim in our pool without our permission. Okay. They would just drop the kids off, go have a swim, and, and everything was okay. But, um, but in the, I was probably three or four years mm -hmm. old when when uh, I, I now I was I didn't remember this, 
I was told this from my family, my, my uh, older sister or my mother had said that uh, when I was at this age that I had rolled a rock mm -hmm. down the slide and it struck my brother in the head. Okay. So I wasn't, I wasn't privy. I, I didn't remember doing it, but I was told that that's what I had done when I was okay. like three or three no, and a half, that, four years you old. Know, that kind of makes sense too, because the impression I got from the story when I read it was that it was your first memory and you were like kind of fascinated by the fact that you drew blood. Well, I don't know. I, I didn't remember. I was just told that later right. in life that I had done that. And I was like, oh, right. whatever. Maybe that's retaliation for some of the things Brad has now, done to me. Now, is he older know. than you or younger than you? <laughs> no, Brad is a year younger. And matter of fact, all of our lives, most for most of our lives, while we're living under my dad's roof, Brad and I shared the same bedroom. Oh, okay. So we were... We were always having, we we're always at each other's throats, basically, oh, yeah. uh, having to deal with each other in our little quirks. So having to sleep in it. So that's how come when I sleep in a double man cell in prison, I get along so well because I remember I had 18 years of sleeping in, in the same room right. with my brother Brad. Right. Yeah. But other than that, were you? Even though, even though the, the L house and Sela, we had like six or oh, seven wow. bedrooms. I could have had my own bedroom, but for some reason, my dad decided that we we're still going to stay in the same room, and he'd make one of the bedrooms into one of his drafting offices. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. were you and your yeah. siblings close growing up? There was a time when we were. I think we were kind of like really close. Okay. Um, I had uh, some sicknesses when I was young. I had uh, I had pneumonia two or three mm -hmm. times. And then I had impetigo a couple times, which is a, a right. skin disease. I remember coming out of impetigo. It was like two months. I was in in the house where we were doing the oatmeal packs and stuff like that on on my, on my sores. And when I was finally clean, I was actually able to come out. My brothers had actually built a fort out in the out in the woods just for me, just to give me a, a like a send off, like this is your place kind mm -hmm. of a thing. So they were like. Now, I had a paper route when I was young, and so did my brother Bruce. Now, my brother Bruce didn't have to learn my paper route, but I had to learn his. Okay. Now, my paper route was in the morning. I delivered the province, and I had to have all the papers delivered by 7 in the morning. And I had about 7 miles to ride to deliver about 14 wow. papers. <laughs> and then my brother Bruce had the uh, Vancouver Sun. And he had about 30 to 36 papers to deliver after okay. school. Now, the reason I had to learn how to write, how to, how to do his paper out was because sometimes he'd have after school sports or something he'd have to attend to. And I would deliver the papers for him. But surprisingly enough, it seemed like I was delivering more, more, more times than he right, was there. Right. <laughs> and he was collecting all the money. So, you know, it's. Now Bruce and I were were fairly close up until <clears throat> up until I got okay. arrested. The moment I got arrested, he just owned okay. me. Now, so as far as he was concerned, now I don't he's older right than now. you, right? Yeah, he's two years exactly. We're both born on oh, April wow. 6th. I just I just stayed in more for more. I had two more years of wounds. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So Bruce Lee came out in, in, in 53, and I came out in 57. You mean 55? And, of course, he's, I mean, yeah, he, I'm in 55. He right. was in 53. And so, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, we were pretty close right up until I got wow. arrested. And then the moment I got arrested and for multiple murder, all of a sudden now I don't exist as far as the family's right. concerned. Right. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. Bruce doesn't acknowledge it. now. My brother Brad, he writes me from time to time. My sister Jill doesn't talk to me at all. My sister Sharon, I just got a Christmas card from okay. her. But my mother, my mother passed away in okay. '85. And my dad remarried to his wife, and his wife just passed away. About, his wife passed away about two years after he did, and he did, he passed away on you know, May 18th of 2015. Okay. So you want me to call? I'll okay. call you right Let's back. Let's do that. I'm back. All right. I'm back. All right, I think that was a pretty good part one to this. The other one yeah. we're going to air shortly, uh, so we're separating this call out into part one and part two. Right, and. Part one was very interesting, too, because that's where we learned about, you know, Crazy Uncle Charlie and where that story came from. And he was the one from like that went to Vietnam or something, right? No, he was the one that everybody that separated off from the family because he wanted to be a he didn't want to be he wanted to be a um, like a beef farmer, not a dairy farmer. Oh, okay. And so he had separated off and got a whole bunch of land and, you know, separated his land. And they the family basically Took him to court and proved he was insane. And when they kept, when they came out and tried to, you know, talk to him, he put, he, you know, he had a gun on him and he was like, get off my property, which, you know, back then you expect it. I, I would do that I too. Mean, they, I'd be like, I get on out of here today. <laughs> but um, I would do that today. I'd be like, get yeah. on out of here. See, and that's all one word, people. Yes, that is one word. <laughs> but, you know, so he ended up going to court and. He was saying, yeah, my family's out to get my land. Well, back then, that they considered him to be paranoid. And so they institutionalized him, and they got his land anyways. And so that's where Crazy Uncle Charlie came from. And, you know, it was just it was just a different than what you hear from others. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally, totally, totally. Yeah, and so... So we cleared a bunch of that up and then, you know, clearing up the, you know, the BB gun incidents that right. they said was BB gun when actually it was boys being boys with slingshots. Yeah. And then he wasn't even present during the BB gun incident because it was a friend of his that had the BB gun. And then, you know, his dad, quote unquote, electrocuting him with 220 volts of electricity. Yeah, him and I just recently talked about yeah. that on like Thursday. Well, it, see, and him and I were talking, he goes, yeah, because he told the story to, I think, Jack Olson. Correct. And then when Jack went to, con, you know, corroborate the story with his dad, his dad didn't want somebody, people to think that he was, you know, mean and vicious to his son. So he downplayed it like it was 12 volts. And I'm like, it was a prank anyways. It's not like he tried to kill you, you know. <laughs> I said, if Being that, my family, that's, yeah. I was going to say, if that's the me. case, my brother can tell people to this day my, I was so mean to him because we used to tell him that it was fun to pee on an electric fence growing up. It is, you know. But then again, I've got weird sexual preferences. Yeah, well, we used to tell my because my brother would, and he fell for it every time until he got to a certain age. He'd be like, "Nothing would happen to me, right?" I'm like, "No, it's fine. Just pee on it. It's nothing will happen to you." And he would each and every time. Well, he's an idiot. <laughs> well, you know, he. I think he learned after like, you know, four, five, ten times. But yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus Christ, man! So retardation runs in your family. 
That's well, fine. he is That's only right. my half-brother, so there you go. Then Okay. <laughs> Let's wrap this one up. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, or wherever you get your blogs. Uh, what else? Uh, check out check us out. Oh, make sure you like us on Facebook. That helps yes, out a lot, too. Check out the YouTube page. We're uploading some more stuff to that. Uh, I think that's about it. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. Remember, if you're hearing this pod on anybody else's podcast, they're lying, David bastards. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye bye. Bye, everybody.